0: Welcome to the Engage with Energy podcast. Engage with Energy is dedicated to solving problems related to business transformation, enterprise asset management, and corporate social responsibility. We will be bringing you interesting guests and sharing useful information to help you on your journey to achieving world-class business performance. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: Welcome to the Engage with Energy podcast. I'm Don Racy, founder of Engage Energy and Industrial Consulting, and I'm really excited about today's show. This episode is devoted to a subject near and dear to my heart, corporate social responsibility, specifically jobs and economic development. Corporate social responsibility is about establishing your corporate philosophy and determining how your company will contribute to the greater good of society and to your company's bottom line. These programs take into consideration how your business operates in its social, economic, and environmental context. Business leaders are constantly being challenged on the question of how the businesses they serve contribute to the myriad of economic, social, and environmental issues that faces us today. Company leaders are now facing increasing pressure from political activists, social media, customers, and employees to make investment decisions based on the issues held dear by these stakeholders. Investors in these companies are demanding transparency and putting their resources behind companies that embrace sustainable practices. For this reason, a corporate social responsibility program must become a critical component of your company's business strategy. I'm excited about today's discussion. Here with us to talk about corporate social responsibility, jobs, and economic development is Ken Zapensky. Ken is Director of Research and Public Policy for Pittsburgh Works Together. Pittsburgh Works Together is a business-labor alliance that believes the path to sustainable prosperity for everyone is a diverse economy that includes traditional industries alongside tomorrow's emerging technologies. Ken, welcome to the Engage with Energy podcast. Thanks for having me, Don. Um, Good to be here. Thank you. Ken, there are so many directions we could take this conversation, uh, but I think I'd like to dive in by asking some questions about Pittsburgh Works Together. So we can give our listeners some insight into what you do. And second, I'd like to talk about your organization's mission in the context of corporate social responsibility. Sounds good. Great. So Ken, what is Pittsburgh Works Together? Um, what do you do and what do you hope to achieve? So Pittsburgh Work Together is
0: a new business labor alliance formed in March of 2020. Uh, That's really focused on keeping the economic discussion broad throughout the region and as you talked about in the intro, it's really making sure that traditional industries such as energy, such as construction, logistics are really – get the attention paid to them – that eds and meds and emerging technologies really have uh, gotten over the years, not because there's anything wrong with eds and meds or new technology companies, but what you really need is a diverse portfolio across society and we want to make sure that our portion of the portfolio gets enough attention both from the public and from policymakers for the betterment of society overall.
1: So um, in that regard, what do you think makes Pittsburgh Works unique and why?
0: I think it's really the cooperation and uh, interaction between the business and organized labor. You don't see that a lot. You don't see that certainly in the Pittsburgh region. You don't see it across the state of Pennsylvania. And you don't see it very often on um, outside of – issue-specific sort of alliances that mm-hmm. form on an ad hoc basis in other places around the country. We think it's really unique here, and I think it's of the moment and why we got together, um, I think, underscores the mission that we're on. And I think, as we'll probably discuss, the
1: COVID issue really uh, drove home why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the... um with many companies and, and frankly re, entire regions kind of turning away from organized labor, you know why is your organization advocated for the inclusion of organized labor? Well, I think it, it
0: comes back to um, when you're talking about corporate social responsibility, you know the broad definition that you have mm-hmm. of economic, social and environmental. in too many of these discussions, it's really just around the environmental. Right. It's what energy source are you using, how many tons of carbon, all important discussions but really only one piece of the pie. The other two parts are the economic and the societal. And What you saw was is that a healthy, robust society needs a robust economy where people have jobs that can support them and support the civic infrastructure going forward. And the sorts of industries that belong to Pittsburgh Works Together that we're advocating on behalf of energy, construction, uh, and the like, manufacturing, are industries that traditionally have a broader path for folks who might not want to spend eight years in college getting a degree, you know, successive degrees or wear a lab mm. coat or sit down at a computer behind a desk all day. Um, a lot of different people have different abilities. A lot mm-hmm. of different people have different interests. And we want to make sure that they are there are opportunities for those people in this society, broadly speaking.
1: That's interesting, Kim, because I, I think we've certainly seen a shift over the last few decades, frankly, that, you know, companies used to brag about how many people they had on the payroll, for instance, um, how well their people were paid and treated. And, uh, you know, if a company mentioned this to an investor earnings call today, and uh, their stock price might get shredded the next day, um, how do you begin to put the focus on creating sustainable businesses and jobs that prop up the communities again? I think um, the only pushback
0: I would give is I think if we were having the discussion two years ago, mm-hmm. I think you'd be absolutely right about shredding yeah. the – I think there has been a real shift, um, started small, but really picking up momentum around that um, You know, globalization in trade is good, but it's not uniformly good, mm-hmm. and you have to make sure that you have uh, systems and safety nets in place, and proactive strategies to make sure that the people that are hurt by it mm-hmm. are have other opportunities. So you've seen things in the last couple of years. Um, for instance, um, JD Vance's "Hillbilly Elegy," right. you know, talks a lot about communities left behind mm-hmm. that helped a lot. Powerful storytelling helped a lot to put these sorts of ideas. On the map. So I think that really is ch- changing and shifting. And I think um, Pittsburgh works together and the leadership is half riding that wave and half building that wave, if that mm-hmm. makes sense.
1: Now, you know, we live in the Rust Belt. You know, uh, we're, we're doing this podcast from Pittsburgh. I'm originally from southeastern Ohio. So I've, you know, in, in basically the tip of Appalachia, Absolutely. so to speak. And so we've seen the destruction of the communities uh, as in regard to offshoring of so many jobs, so right. many industries. And now seeing it come back, you know, here in Pittsburgh, we've always been considered uh, – We're known kind of as a steel town, uh, dirty, gritty, tough. Uh, But yet if you were to drive around Pittsburgh, it's just the opposite. It's still tough, but yet it's not gritty and grimy and black soot everywhere. Right. We have an opportunity to promote so much about what this region is about, especially our infrastructure as it relates to – Kind of our, our ability to meet the challenges of complex supply chains. Mm-hmm. We have the rails, we have the rivers, we have the airports, and and we have the infrastructure already in place here in, in Pittsburgh. So um, how much of what you all are doing at, at Pittsburgh Works Together is focused on that aspect of of building kind of those sustainable communities?
0: Well I think that the Um, COVID-19 crisis really drove home the opportunity that's in front of us. When we first launched, um, the idea was to remind people how important these traditional industries, manufacturing in particular, are to uh, the regional economy and to individual communities, as you sort of alluded to, um, because we thought that was sort of getting lost. Um, What COVID did was it reinforced Um, the nature of the global supply chain and how fragile it is. So from an economic, write it out on a whiteboard, Mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense to find the lowest cost supplier and just work on just-in-time delivery in order to deliver the cheapest, best products to your customer base. And it works really well right up until the time it doesn't. Um, I think it was F. Scott Fitzgerald who (laughs) talked about how you know, rich people go bankrupt, which is gradually and then suddenly. And that's really what happened mm-hmm. here. So, for 20 years, as globalization increased, the benefits were so great that it might have papered over glitches that would occur. Well, all of a sudden, we got the world's biggest glitch, and all of a sudden, it became, well, not just China, for mm-hmm. instance, who might be seen as an ideological opponent to sort of Western civilization. And free market capitalism, but even from friendly countries mm-hmm. having, wanting to keep things in mm-hmm. um, within their own borders. So that really caused people to look at it again. And so there are manufacturers that are looking at their global supply chain, figuring out what they want to bring back to North America. And you hit the nail right on the head. Pittsburgh is as well positioned as any place and better than most for capturing this sort of reshoring of Mm -hmm. manufacturing jobs. We have the workforce, um, and the workforce remains gritty even if the environment Mm -hmm. is no longer. Um, We have the workforce. We have a history of knowing how to make things. We have an established manufacturing base. We have the infrastructure um, broadly defined. um, And we're centrally located Mm -hmm. to sort of the North American – Manufacturing and population base.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we work a lot with energy, oil and gas companies, utilities for that matter. And we hear one theme over and over. It's so hard to find quality people. And so that kind of brings me back to the conversation about organized labor. Yep. Um, I have always found that what they do is provide really robust training programs, which is something from, you know, uh, apprenticeships and um, the focus on safety. And uh, when I hear companies saying it's so hard to find people, and then when we do, we have issues of substance abuse, especially in skilled trades, for instance. And so um I have to imagine that a lot of what Pittsburgh Works Together is focused on is the focus on that the ability to train and grow a diversified and skilled workforce to meet the demands of, of this new economy that's coming on board, especially in, in our region where we have so much energy focused companies, um, and we're, we're building um, large crackers and a, a number of, of large infrastructural manufacturing companies that are going to have a significant need for skilled, trained, and reliable labor that um, have a sense of safety and quality about right. them. Yep. And so could you kind of talk to us about, you know, um, your work with the – uh, the 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 skilled trades here in Pittsburgh.
0: You hit it on the head that the trade unions are wonderful uh, mechanisms for training people how to do the job, how to do the job well, and how to do the job safely. Um, so that part already exists. The challenge, as you mentioned, is getting enough people into the pipeline so they are taking advantage of the great training opportunities that organized labor can provide. That's part of our mission for sort of general outreach public education. If you're the parent of a high school kid in Greene County, if you – don't think that construction jobs are going to be there. Sure, my kid could train to be a welder, but once the cracker is done, then he's going to be unemployed. Or he could train to work in the gas fields, but if what I'm reading in the paper all the time that gas is going bankrupt and mm-hmm. you know it's horrible and evil, um, that's just not an opportunity. So you've got you want to get the kids excited mm-hmm. about. That there really is a viable career path here and you want to get parents and you want to get sort of teachers in the high schools understanding, yes, there is a path forward. And that sort of discussion really is sort of getting lost um, that if if you sort of – Just read the paper or sort of hear the general uh, uh, conversation. It's, you know, if you're not working for a tech startup, there's really no future for you. And then all of a sudden, you know, you raise the substance abuse issue. It's a very real issue. Mm -hmm. But people do a lot of things to make themselves feel better when they have a sense of hopelessness and that there's no path forward. If we can give them a path forward, if they can see a path forward in manufacturing, in construction, in Mm -hmm. energy – then all of a sudden, some of those other social problems mm-hmm. of poverty, of health, of opioid addiction, mm-hmm. some of those start becoming easier to deal with, yeah, and that's absolutely. why you know going back to your introduction about corporate social responsibility, we don't talk about it a lot mm-hmm. in tho- that language because that's not the world we live in. Right. Um, but it's very much this is an economic societal thing, and the environment part of that is still part and parcel of um, the ethos of manufacturing, which is high tech, which is doing more with less now than ever Mm -hmm. before, both in terms of material, in terms of the emissions that come out of it, um, because it is. It's good business and it's good for society.
1: You know, the relationship between organized labor and Uh, And corporations is not always positive, right? Right. Um, And um, is that changing? And if it is, why? Well, I I think
0: that's true. And I think a lot of the post-war economy sort of, you know, run in this region, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s. um, It was a big growing pie. Mm -hmm. And so you could have a lot of fights and a lot of nasty fights. And it would be okay because at the end of the day, everybody would have a big enough slice of the pie because mm-hmm. the pie was growing. And the pie was growing right up until the time it wasn't. Right. And so the sort of adversarial corporate union relationship um, where that's continued, it has been bad. It's been bad for the unions. It's been bad for the companies. And it's been bad for the c- communities in which they live mm-hmm. where you have a more collaborative Um, discussion, Uh, it's been good. Good for the unions, good for the companies, uh, good for the communities. We've, here in Pittsburgh, we have a much more collaborative ethos than you see in a lot of places. Government, nonprofits, foundations, and the unions have always been part of that. Mm -hmm. Maybe not down to the rank and file, but certainly union leaders sitting at the table and having these discussions even dating back to the time of Davy Lawrence um, in the first renaissance around here. So it's really a continuation of something that's uh, perhaps uniquely Pittsburgh. Um, I think that has benefited Pittsburgh, that sense of collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons you see us as a real standout compared to other – rust belt i'll call them classic economies across the mid-atlantic and the northeast and this is a continuation i think of that grand tradition
1: yeah you know um manufacturing for instance is constantly looking for ways to to innovate to get better to be more efficient and part of that is through automation and so um with this focus on automation that means reducing the amount of labor typically so what What's the balancing act to all this?
0: Automation reduces labor input per unit of production. So not necessarily overall. If you have a car factory and the automation reduces it from 300 workers per car to 200 workers per car, but you you double production, so now all of a sudden instead of 2,000 employees, you're... You know, you're at Mm -hmm. 3,000 employees, then you've automated, you're reducing the labor needed per unit, but you've actually increased your um, labor base. So, you know, a lot of people are surprised to hear Mm -hmm. that um, United States manufacturing on a dollar-for-dollar basis is larger now than it's ever been because we don't make things here anymore. Well, we do. We make a lot of things. But here's the problem. Um, The world uses a lot, lot more things. Mm -hmm. We're making a little bit more than we used to. And places like China are making a lot, 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 lot more than we used to. <laughs> right. Uh, so now we're the number two manufacturer behind China. And that's only in the last few years that that happened. And it really is sort of chasing that last cent. Where can right. I get the widget made um, less expensively? Um, and that works if all you're looking at are the dollars, And, you know, I don't think manufacturers really took risk analysis into that profile. But risk, you know, every prudent business owner wastes money protecting against risk. They buy insurance. They don't think their factory is going to burn down, but they're going to have insurance in place just in case it does. Does that mean that cuts into their profits? If you went to a CEO and said, you can save money by cutting your insurance to zero... He'd look at you like you were an idiot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if you say, um, "Move production from Vietnam or China to or Mexico to Pittsburgh," and they say, oh, "It's going to cost us ten cents more per," that's going to cut into our profit. Bit. Right. Except, well, you've got it here, mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about disruptions elsewhere. How much is that worth to you? Because you, you now you've got some really good, you know, twenty twenty financial data as to mm-hmm. what. You know, if you're making a high value component uh, with 32 parts, and one of those parts costs two cents to make in China, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't arrive there, and that means your whole production line shuts down, how prudent is that? Um, That's one of the arguments, and a strong one, I think, in terms of the growing cracker industry here in um, Pennsylvania in Appalachia. Um, Right now, the U.S. is largely dependent on the Gulf Coast, and the concentration mm-hmm. there. We have supply here. They are threatened. How many, what, two hurricanes just right. went through and they were talking about if they had swung a little further to the west, right. you know, Katie barred the door. Yeah. Um, we don't have, we don't get a whole lot of hurricanes here yeah. in uh, western Pennsylvania. Uh, so does that mean we supplant Louisiana as a sort of petrochemical plastics? no. Does that mean that we complement it and it becomes a diversified strategy for individual companies, Mm -hmm. for the country, for the industry to have a more productive or a more protected production base? I think that's not just good for the community, Mm -hmm. benefits the community. It makes economic sense to the industry. They just need to know – they just need to have that pointed out to them. It's
1: just another lever to pull in an overall – in your overall risk mitigation strategy, absolutely. You know, um, we see it, it's interesting. We see a lot, especially in the the energy business. Now, we, we've talked about manufacturing to to some extent, but the the energy business as well uh, is going through an enormous transformation. We are as a as a country, we are closing. A lot of our traditional coal-fired power plants, and so we've we've begun to transition to to more natural gas, um, especially here in the Northeast, where we have a couple of big issues. One is if you live in Pittsburgh, you know this: the sun doesn't always shine every day, <laughs> and the wind doesn't always blow. So you do need uh you you need a more balanced um, portfolio of energy production, and you know. You kind of alluded to this earlier. Corporate social responsibility, there is a tremendous amount of focus on green or environmentally friendly um, means of production. And who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. But um, there is also the the issues of the technology is not quite there yet. And so to transition from what was traditionally a dirty coal uh, energy base to a more renewable base, you have to look at what do we do in the meantime until the technology gets there. And I've always felt that in western Pennsylvania, we're, we're so fortunate that we're sitting on one of the largest natural reserves of natural gas in the entire world. Right. We've used natural gas for well over 100 years safely and reliably. And so um mm. This region particularly, how does your organization look at that resource and the companies here locally that help produce that resource um, and change the argument to say, hey, this isn't so dirty. I know that you – Pittsburgh Works Together has some great companies that that you're working with and that are in the natural gas business. So um, what have you learned from them?
0: So – Energy is an incredibly complex uh, space, and it's incredibly important here, Um, here in southwestern Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh region. Because we have energy companies, we are a production, so that's an industry Mm -hmm. that you don't have elsewhere. Um, Energy as an input to manufacturing is absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. So if you want to position yourself as being a place where manufacturers want to land in the years going forward, having uh, inexpensive, reliable, quality energy is absolutely critical. Um, but as I say, it's very complex and I'll start out with a little story. I remember driving my son to work. Our, our, the driving him to school one day he was probably about fourth grade and he was talking about we're in traffic he's talking about cars um polluting and isn't that horrible and we should just get rid of cars and how are we going to get around well we can go back to horses i said that's very interesting (laughs) because what happens if you have horses what do you mean well what do horses do every day do you ever walk behind in a parade oh they poop a lot yeah (laughs) And in fact, horses were cluttering cities so much that when the automobile came along and trucks came along burning gasoline, it was seen as a great environmental step forward because you didn't have the horse manure sewage problems and the the diseases that would go along with it. So um, he's like, oh, okay. And what that really underscores is everything's a trade-off. People like to talk about clean energy. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as clean energy. It just depends on where the dirt is. So if you've got solar panels on your house, you're not producing any carbon emissions or demonstrable effects on your rooftop to turn on your TV and watch Netflix all those are taking place maybe where they're mining rare earth minerals in China (laughs) or the manufacturing places that are doing, that are putting the panels together in very sort of dirty processes. So Mm. um, that's not to say PV solar panels are bad. Mm -hmm. It's to say that things are, there's always trade-offs. You have to be aware of them. And um, you have to be careful in terms of, transitions or changes right. and it's been a tragedy what we're seeing out in california in terms of their electrical issues um you have the most populous most um economic powerful state in the most economically powerful country in the world doing rolling blackouts right. for millions of citizens like they're a third world country mm-hmm. that's an absolute sin it's criminal right and what's the explanation? It's not that simple, because it it expands. It's partly government regulatory. Mm-hmm. It's partly corporate decision-making. It's partly a rushed transition to um, wind and solar, and other where the technology is not mm-hmm. up to snuff um, right. to do that. And the trouble with the um, energy delivery system in this country, the electricity system, I should say, is you've got all these overlapping interest, areas of interests from government and corporations and everybody can make a decision that is perfectly rational based on where they're sitting. Right. And then you stack them all together and you've got an utter disaster. And that's exactly what happened in California right. and is continuing to happen in California until they realistically define what the problem is, Mm -hmm. they won't be able to solve it. Thankfully for the rest of us, we can see them as a case study of we don't want to be that. Let's us analyze the California problem and make sure we don't take the steps that lead to that. And I think you see in Pennsylvania and elsewhere – I think you might see a pause and sort of a reset on discussions around energy delivery because of what's going
1: on. Yeah. You know, um, energy policy, for instance, and and a national energy policy, I think is something that we certainly need, um, and, and look at it from a, not only a risk mitigation perspective, but also, as you said, what is that transition look like? And what should it look like? Because, um, you, when when you when you focus on just one method of production or one or two methods of production that don't necessarily serve from an energy density perspective um, what what coal used to do right what nuclear used to do um, and now shifting to a very intermittent method of production there has to be some method to Bridge the gap, and it seems to me that natural gas, right now anyway, can bridge that gap, um, with the trade-off of you know the en- environmental emissions and supply and all of those other factors that come into place. So a- as you as your organization looks to the future, um, what are Say two or three of the the key focus areas that you're looking to really put your focus behind from a um, uh, advocate mm-hmm. advocacy point of view. Mm-hmm. You know what uh, what are those things that Pittsburgh works together really want really want to share with the community about what they're working on. One of the things that
0: we did earlier this year, one of our first big um, public um, actions was to release a policy agenda called the Get to Work and Build It Here agenda, mm. really about um, driving Uh, an increase in manufacturing here. And we say manufacturing because that's sort of the endpoint manufacturing Mm. jobs, but it touches on all those other things that we talked about, Mm. energy, construction, logistics. They all sort of feed um, into that because of the robust supply chain that manufacturing does. And it really focuses on um, a number of different issues. We touched on some of them. So energy, you know, we need to have reliable, affordable energy here in Pennsylvania. Um, Some of it's around um, regulation. We want to make sure that we don't overburden companies that um, want to come here. We don't want to make it a difficult place to do business. Mm -hmm. Environmentalists hear that and they think, oh, you want to get rid of environmental policies. No, it's just you want the system to run smoother, run quicker, and run more effectively to issue the permit. So if you're going to issue a permit and it's going to get to the end It's better if it can get there in 12 months than in 18 months or 24 or 36. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Um, We need a place to put folks. Um, So it's developing sites. We've got a plethora of old industrial sites here. Let's Mm -hmm. invest the money to remediate them Mm -hmm. and make them attractive for modern manufacturing. Workforce we touched on. That's a really Mm -hmm. um, big one as well. And we need to – Reinforce for people that just because you work with your hands instead of with your brain at a keyboard all mm-hmm. day, that doesn't make you a lesser contributor right. to society. It doesn't make you a lesser human being. It doesn't even necessarily mean you're going to make less money. Right. It's we need to really reinforce that people who work in the physical world have value. And again, I hate to keep talking about how much the COVID crisis has mm-hmm. reinforced. Um If we didn't have truck drivers, if we didn't have the meat packers, if we didn't have the store clerks stocking the shelves, we would have starved to death here. Um, And they're the sort of jobs that in our nice upper middle class white collar cocktail parties, if someone had said, oh, my son's a truck driver, we would have looked askance at our neighbor and thought, what's wrong with you? Um, that's, you know, that's our problem. Mm -hmm. That's our bias. That's our, um, elitist attitude showing through. And we need to combat that because we live in a physical world. That's what we've been talking about. Manufacturing, construction, logistics, moving stuff. We live in a physical world and we need to respect the people who work in that physical world to keep us
1: alive and thriving. And, And the idea that it is not... A um, technical in nature Correct. that it is that it does not take a tremendous amount of brain power to do Correct. is absolutely wrong. I remember my grandfather, who was a tool and die maker at a manufacturing facility for over thirty years. The math that that man could do in his head was amazing, and. You sit back and you think, "Wow!" To make some of these milled components, for instance, like around this microphone, yep. the engineering and the and the brain power that it takes to produce that is is absolutely amazing. So, you know, it's um, at at the end of the day, um, we have to do um, more than you know, be um, app developers and things like that. We have to build things. We have to make things that people use every day. Um, you know, you, you talked a bit about the COVID-19 pandemic, um, and, and really how that has popularized the word essential worker. Yeah, right. And, um, uh, yet, you know, income inequality in this country has shown that we do vastly treat different those folks as opposed to, like you said, the white collar, the world. And so, um, do you see, the fundamental concept of value of labor shifting? Um,
0: Depends on what you mean by the word value. Um, You can talk about it in terms of value to society or Mm -hmm. monetary value. Um, I think what you're going to see particularly as boomers retire, Mm -hmm. um, linemen, um, truck drivers across a whole host of things, you know, uh, companies have complained about the inability to sort of replace retiring workers. Um, great thing about living in a free market capitalist system is there's a way to attract more workers, right. Um, does that mean that people are going to be paying more than they might? Possibly. Um, but that's, you know, that's one of the costs of sort of doing business. You have to live in the world in which you live and not right. live in the world in which you wish you did. And so I think you're going to see, I think people are going to be more attuned to um, being willing to pay more. Going back to your Henry Mm -hmm. Ford example, they pay more, you know, they're willing to pay more because they're making more in order to um, do that. And I think um, the value to society and the monetary value have been out of whack. And I think this is going to, you know, put this back on a discussion. The COVID situation has been such a disruption to our normal life that all the things that we never thought of before, they were back there and just sort of lurking, but Mm -hmm. no one ever had to deal with them. We're having to deal with them explicitly now. And I think that's only good. Um, What we want Pittsburgh Works to do is make sure as those discussions take place, they come out productively and in the right Right. direction and not – Head off
1: you, you, in you a poor direction. It's, it's a great point because we did talk about the uh, partnership of of labor and the the corporate community here in Pittsburgh, and that um, it, it it may be unique in the country that it, it is so collaborative at this point. How do you how do you how do you spread that around? How how do you uh, how do you promote that and and show that there there can be a better way? It doesn't always have to be antagonistic. Um, we're really interested in showing it around um, the Pittsburgh region and the state
0: of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Not so interested in showing it around other places <laughs> because, um, because
1: you want to because of, everything else. exactly <laughs> right, right, right. you know
0: we don't want our fair share. <laughs> we want our fair share and your fair share coming to right. uh, coming to the Pittsburgh region, uh, and so um, I think you know hopefully our success. You know we talked about labor and business. Um, the other player in this is government, and mm-hmm. we have spent a lot of time, our leadership has spent a lot of time interacting with um, government officials at the local level, at the state level, um, not so much at the federal level yet, but that we'll get to that, um, because they play a role. They can either be helpful or they can be detrimental. Mm-hmm. You know, Sometimes the best thing you can do is you know, don't just do something, stand there. Just stay out of the way. Right. <laughs> Let things take it uh, take its natural course. Uh, but some things we need to actually demonstrate to the yeah. world that Pennsylvania is open for business, and they have a role to play in that. So yeah. collaboration is good. You talked about two business and labor, but there's a lot of collaboration that needs to take yeah. place across a lot of stakeholders, yeah. which fits right in with the you know cor- corporate social responsibility yeah. uh, ethos.
1: Right, and and um, you know, kind of to wrap this up, mm-hmm. you know. You love Pittsburgh. I, live, I love Pittsburgh. That's why we live here. Absolutely. You know, that's why we raise our kids here. Um, why should a business leader, uh, considering, for instance, a new location or expanding um, in, in other parts of the country, really take a serious look at Pittsburgh? I think because of the assets that we have to offer. We talked about that. Energy,
0: infrastructure, workforce, um, a real history of knowing how to make things. Um, that said, mm-hmm. um, we're not necessarily going to be on the top of anybody's list if they look at things like how taxes are managed or you know what the um, land regulation or energy discussion is. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody wants to come in and, and think that they're going to be vilified by the community. And that's a big role that Pittsburgh Works plays is just the – The mere existence of the organization, Mm -hmm. business and labor working together to say, no, you're welcome here, that's a card in our favor that wasn't in the deck um, six months ago. Uh, But there is real work to be done in order to make an environment, broadly speaking, that is easier to work on, um, work through, and speed to market and all those uh, Mm -hmm. sorts of things. So the idea is, yes, we have a lot of cards to play for somebody who's looking. um, But unfortunately, we're not where we need to be to be on top of our game. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're hoping to do is to change that. So we are, you know, the number one place people look to. People will need to look for reasons to rule us out. Right. As opposed to why should I consider
1: it? You know, it's interesting, too, because I – it seems like every other month there is some article about Pittsburgh ranking as number one or two in the best places to live in the United States for a myriad of reasons, yep. universities, um, quality of life, real estate prices, any any number of things, quality workforce being one. But, right, until and, and our, our, our policies match, uh, you know, kind of the overall want to and grit of the community – um, that's where we have to be. So, and, right. and I'm, I'm, um, I am thankful that we have an organization like Pittsburgh Works Together, uh, working for the good of this community. Ken, I want to thank you for your time today. It was a fascinating discussion. And um, how can people find out more about your organization?
0: Um, It's been a fascinating conversation. As you can tell, I love to talk about (laughs) what we're doing because I believe so passionately in it, both personally and um, what I think it can contribute to the um, community broadly. And if any of your listeners want to find out more, uh, pghworks.com is our website and everything's there from... Um, policy stances and what what we're all about and who our members are and that sort of thing.
1: Terrific. And we're going to have this posted on our website as well. Um, you can catch us on YouTube or anywhere you find podcasts. So, Ken, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a blast. Thanks, Ken. I appreciate it. it. Wonderful. Thank Bye-bye. you.